Hi guys, welcome to the Incredible Hulk podcast, and we are discussing uh, the season two story, A Child in Need, which was directed by uh, James D. Parriott and written by Frank Dandridge. Um, I'm going to be speaking with, uh, um, I did an interview with James uh, Parriott um, earlier, and you'll be able to enjoy that at the end of this um, little discussion that we're going to be having here, so please stick around for that one. It was a joy to talk to, and it gives us fairly good insight into how he made this story. Um, I'm joined here by um, my friend Sue. How are you, Sue? I'm fine, thanks. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) This one, Sue, um, is a pretty tough one to talk about. Oh, my God, I know, right? Because of this subject matter that's involved. I mean, they didn't shy away from um, real-life issues. That's the wonderful thing about the Hulk that stood out for me, uh, uh, you know, as a developed as an adult, because obviously when you're a child, you don't see these issues as much. You don't see the dramatic things that are going on. You're just really there for, like, the superhero side of it. But as you get older, you realise... I never picked up on how of how much peril this kid was in when I was, when I saw it, you know, back in the day, it was, I mean, this poor kid is, uh, is trying to get an education. Right. And, and he's being terrorized. Yes. Can I start talking about it a little bit? Oh yeah. Okay. The, The kid, the kid is, uh, the kid, uh, David has got a job as a caretaker at a school doing some outdoor gardening and he comes upon this, this little boy and this little boy is covered with bruises. Yes. Just, on, just a on mess. his arms and stuff, yeah, and he's trying to cover it up. But Yeah, and he's crying. Yeah. And, and David, so he's talking is his pain alone uh, without any friends without any just kind of trying to hide it all yeah he seems um yeah he doesn't seem to have any friends that he's hanging around with in it or anything he's trying to hide it from him he's trying to hide it that's right yeah he's not he's not even like you know he's not even like you know please help me my friends he's like i'm gonna do this by myself you know kind of kind of been isolated very isolated yeah and at first i thought it was his mom i mean i was i was willing to bet dollars to donuts that it was his mother who was hurting him because because of the way she was so cold towards david when he came over to confront that's right yeah she um but then we you know realize that she's a victim herself you know and uh, yep. and the and the thing about being uh, a victim of at the hand of these these people that lash out and use um, aggression towards people, the spouses or their children, is that the, the the they lock people into a sense of fear, you know, and they use that as as control. So. Often, you know, the sad state of affairs and it's going on now and it's rife everywhere, you know. Nothing's changed in those 40 years. It's still happening. Domestic abuse. Yeah. All these secrets behind closed doors. Who knows what's going on, you know. Okay. And, uh, and I think they tackled it 
incredibly well, but they still, you know, uh, um, didn't shy away from some some of the ugly aspects of it. Yeah, and and his uh, it, it turned out that it was his father, and you know, David came over. Uh, David really became the mandatory reporter for this incident, yeah. and the nurse was like. Um, I, I, I tried to try to, you know, help this other kid this one time and it, and it cost me my job. And so she was really protecting her job. Yes. Which, you know, is the old trope, right? Oh yeah. It's sort of a trope. It isn't, it isn't sort of a, a real, uh, a real excuse anymore, but it's kind of the old, you know, little thing and so she was she wasn't able to deal with it and so you know she needed some big superhero help right yeah yeah um yeah it's it's terribly sad what's going on and it, and it's it, it's 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 a sadness all around in society that these things happen and they really do you know it's um it's not a work of fiction by any means you know, uh, so many people have been, you know, have had had this kind of uh, behavior behavior from an, an, an adult thrust upon them. Yeah, the the upbringing, right? Yeah, the upbringing has been very harsh, you know. And um, there's some wonderful performances in this suit. I mean, I think Sally Kirkland, who plays the mother, the desperate mother, even though she's kind of torn between the love of a husband, the blind love, you might say, which is very common as well, and um, and hiding it, you know, kind of protecting him from the authorities. She's obviously de desperately concerned about her son as well, and you know, deep down, and uh, her own her own um, well being. But she's torn between her love, you know, this this love for her husband, even though he's doing these terrible things, you know. And this is a common problem. Yeah, it is. So, you know, this is this is one of the few episodes where, where once the Hulk has come out, once David went over there, he was chasing through the the city streets and and stuff, trying to make it to the house before. And there was a it was parallel cut with like his father demanding a, a beer and his father threatening him and his father then eventually like actually lashing out and hitting him. Um, him. Yeah. Yeah. And pins him up against the wall and stuff. And, and yeah. so then the, then, then the Hulk came and, uh, well, David came and you see him Hulk out and then you see him, uh, eventually you you see him go away and he and he calms down and so i thought that was really interesting the it's reverse interesting, he, take, he takes mark the boy with him yeah uh, and the and emotion the on, on, on the emotion on uh, margaret hollinger's face sally kirkland's character is so heartbreaking you know it's like a child being abducted you know 
um, under your nose and she's screaming don't hurt him you know oh my god my boy my boy you know it's just it's just horrendous even though the Hulk's protecting him you know but but it's just that desperation of the mother you know she's, you know she can't comprehend what the hell's going on here you know you've got this green giant just burst through the door you know and a child's been taken away her husband's been like you know bullying the boy before her it's just a crazy situation she's in you know um so yeah the kids performance was absolutely spot on without without a doubt he the kid was you know showed the threat showed his fear i mean that that kid must have been an amazing actor you know at that time the kid was played by an, a, um, a dennis dimster who's now a director um Wow. He directs in mostly independent films, I think. So he's still in the wow. business. He's still in the business, yeah. Um, it's awesome. And yeah. his and and then his father, that that guy was he did a really scary job. Oh yeah. A very convincing part, yeah. He yeah. Can, you know. He 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 um conveyed that menace very yeah. well. And I, I thought that the I thought that the, I thought that the layers of 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 emotional impact on the family were were you know really well shown. I mean, you you saw the wife go through you know her own abuse, the the abuse that she's suffering at the hands of her husband, and then you see her also going through her own uh, her own fear and. And, you know, you don't see the, you see her trying to, to trying to reason her way out, but yeah. she, she did a really, uh, I mean, what, that, that was an amazing performance too. She was incredible. She was incredible. Yeah, she really was. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting is the, the dilemma she's in, you know, for the love of her, her husband still and, and so on, and, and trying to keep this secret because David will not relent, and he gives he he basically gives her um, an ultimatum and says, "Look, if you've got a chance to go to the authorities and, and tell them what's happening. If you don't, I will." You know, and that's such an emotional scene. You, you, you know, Sally carries that off brilliantly. She's just in pieces. You know. Of, of, of just a desperate woman it's it's very tough tough you know yeah but yeah so um sorry i, I don't know i don't know how i don't know how to I, I i was i was emotionally impacted by this very much i mean i, I cried and 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 it was i mean i just i just you know at the end, even at the end, I was I, I just walked away feeling feeling emotionally unsatisfied at the resolution, which I guess it was maybe the point. Uh, it was, I mean, they did they did so many different uh, they did so much different stuff in in in. in, in 
presenting this, it was it was pretty hard to to go, you know, to walk away from. It's 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 got a really hard takeaway. And what's interesting at the end, and again, is quite a common factor about abuse, is that the abuser was abused himself as a child. So it's it's father like son. It's it's inherent. It carries on, you know. Yeah. But the fact that he wasn't in, that he wasn't actually held accountable for his actions. Yeah. That. I mean, he was. I think he was. For he his was. Own. I think he, they separated or something. I think he was. He was. He was hospitalized, uh, but he wasn't. He wasn't incarcerated. No, I don't so, think. So I mean, that, Yeah. I just. I. I. I oh. That was a weird decision, but I know that the writer meant well. But ow. Yeah. <laughs> Walk away, going. He should have no really, He should have eh? been put in jail for that. For what he did, yeah, without yeah. doubt, you know. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't terrorize someone smaller and less able to defend than yourself, and and not have to not have to pay some sort of penalty for that. So Absolutely. that's my humble opinion on that part of the thing. And oh it was, God! It was interesting in the gym in the gym scene, you know, when 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 he's attacking David. Uh, and David says, run, get help, you know, to the boy. There's an amazingly tense scene where Sandy McPeak, who's playing the, the father, Jack Hollinger, beats up David. Uh, but when, when, when he hulks out, it's an interesting reversal that the Hulk is bigger than him. It's almost like a sense of like, this is what it feels like now. You know, I'm bigger than you. You know, you, you you were the father who was towering over your little boy who's smaller than you. And, you know, now I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine, you know. Um, but he doesn't actually hit him at that point. No, he just sort of pushes him back or he bounces off him, you know. He just, he just pushes him away. He lets him, you know, he lets him rail and beat on him like, like, like you do. But then he, he was like... You know, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't turn that and and lash out like Hulk could have crushed him. Oh yeah, but it was interesting because, in a sense, the Hulk was showing him the error of his way. It was. It was interesting how they did. It was interestingly cut how they did that because that was that that spoke that speaks a lot of things to me. You know, it's it, uh, um, getting his aggression out the guy. But then again, you know, at the end of it, he knows he's getting nowhere. Uh, um, he's not going to win. So it's beating him down but by just by its sheer, you know, energy submission. He hasn't actually hurt him or anything. Um, right. And I thought that worked. Sometimes that works better. I thought it was more effective for that. <laughs> he, he turned the tables on him. He showed him for what he was, you know, his, his own action. Right. You know? And so, so that reminded him of his father. Yeah. Doing the same so thing, yeah. I, I, I really, I guess I don't really feel like, 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 like uh, the hospitalization was a satisfying end. Was that he needed, he needed to be, I mean, no, not even the Hulk held him accountable. Anyway, that just, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 
I'm pretty. I, I I love kids. I love babies, and I love. And I don't want. I don't want to see them hurt ever. You know. Absolutely. That's just. Yeah. That's just bull roar. You know. Roar. Yeah. <laughs> It does make me, it makes you want to hulk out with anger, doesn't it? It Think. makes me want to hulk out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I, I'm, yeah. In, in, in hindsight, though, in hindsight, Sue, I'm glad they tackled these things because you've got to bear in mind, it, it, it's essentially like a, a um, it came, you know, the Hulk came from a comic book. You know, um, he was just a comic character and then they made him much more real and human in the series, which is great. Um, but it's interesting, if you take the Hulk out of the equation um, for the, the brief few minutes he's in each episode, it's amazing the stuff they tackled. I know, uh, right? On, on, on a primetime television back then, you know, the, the, the issues, some of the stories they did were, were very adult, you know? Yeah. And those, this one was very adult. This one particular, very much, this one in particular. You know. Made made us women want to want to Hulk out. Made, uh, yeah. made the, the people, the kids, the the men who love babies and and young kids like make us want to Hulk out too. Yeah. And and but actually, you know, punish the guy. Yeah. It, 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 it was it was rich. I like the bit, which, and that one line from the boy, Mark, spoke volumes to me, you know, when he was tormented by the abuse he's having and he felt weak and he couldn't protect himself. When the Hulk took him away, abducted him, and then he come back, changed back to Banner. So the boy actually witnesses the, the transformation. And, and he's, so you change, do you? You change like that. And the boy says, I wish I could. I wish I could do what you do. Sometimes it would come in really handy, you know, and that really said it all about the boy. You know, he, he wished he could be stronger and, you know, protect himself and protect his mum, I guess, you know. Right. Aww. Aww. <laughs> so, so good. Is it, but it isn't, I think, it, but it is a standout, even regardless of the subject matter. And I think it's a, if you take that aside, I think it's a standout episode. I think it's a really, good episode to to watch and rewatch. it stands out to me as one of the best i don't know honestly frank if i could ever re-watch this really Did it really I, I, it really got you yeah it really gets to me yeah but um uh man you know it, you're right this the, the other ones that are sort of this kind of brilliant i uh, I would rewatch them, but this one I don't know if I could. It's heavy, uh, I know it's probably I would think probably the, uh, and I, I can't remember. I mean, obviously, you know, I haven't seen all the episodes for a long, long time, and they deal with some emotional issues and other stories. But this one stands out because I think it affects people more because a child is involved, you know, and that always hits yeah. so much more. It hits us somewhere that, um, you know, that we we we. we we're more affected by it, you know. Yes. Yeah. And, right. a woman, and a woman being abused as well, obviously. You know, those those things in particular strike a big chord in people, you know. Yes. Um 
but I'm really glad we spoke about it. I know it was difficult for you, but I'm really glad you are here to talk about it with me. I wouldn't yeah. really want to do this on my own. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and it made me real. I mean, uh, of course, the some of the emotional takeaways. I'm really grateful for for my fa- my parents who weren't abusive, and and I'm I'm really grateful for other for all the other parents who aren't abusive. Thankfully, there there are. Thankfully, it's not. You know, it's thankfully it's a f- relatively small pocket of the of the populace that do it, but. Even so, yeah. But to, wow. but to impact people's lives like that, because even if it was just emo- even if it was just even if it wasn't physical, it was just mental abuse, which it partly both is in this sense, because he's you know he's controlling the husband's controlling the whole family with fear. That's the, the hold he has. That's the power. You take away that fear, they're nothing. They're cowards, which is what the Hulk shows in him. You know. He's beating on him, and this guy's bigger than him, and he's just beating him down, even though he's not doing anything. But he's wearing him down, and then you just see him crying like a baby at the end. The man, and yep. reverting back to a child, you know, it, it, it's it, it really is strong. It's powerful, you know. It's powerful yes, for 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 a show that you know is essentially a comic book character. Um, you you wouldn't think they would deal with these kind of stories, but they did. They weren't they weren't scared to, and I think that's a, brilliant. And that's why this this series ha- is so special to me because of that. You know, it was the drama and the human things that were going on that were that made it so special. You know, um, and I love and I love how uh, Lou Ferrigno has um, he does so much with his face and his hands. And his chest, and his arms, and his legs, and his even his feet, w- without saying anything. That's the thing. I mean, he, his 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 whole body is is used to to express, and I mean, he just does so much with those with 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 that and without a voice. You know, the fact that he was not a trained actor um, at that time. Um, he does remarkably well conveying emotion. Just yeah, I mean, he, 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 had, he had such empathy for that family. You could yeah, see yeah. it in the Hulk size. Oh, yeah. After, after Bill's, you know, performance was done, Lou's performance was like, see, these guys are, these guys are drawing it out of him, too. Absolutely. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. It was brilliant, uh, they, and, and that's what I mean. When they used the Hulk effectively, you know, uh, um, and which they did in this one, and they do in many, many others, it makes the, the, the episode all the more powerful for it, you know? Yeah. Um, fear sometimes, you know, is, is, is very pa- incredibly powerful, and um, you, can, you can control the fact that people can control people with that. Yep. Is desperately, desperately sad and scary, yep. but people can, you know. And if you can break that fear and confront these people, then you, you've got them beat. They will back down because basically that's the only thing they've got over you. And once that's taken away, they're nothing. Yep. By any other bully or coward, you know. 
Um, one, of the, one of the Star Trek, uh, Doctor Who, um, I don't know, she's been in lots of stuff, Grace Masterson. She, oh, yeah. She's, yeah. Got a, she's got a thing called the, the Superhero Coalition, which is an anti-bullying thing where you can look it up. Oh, that's good. Superhero yeah. Coalition, it's called. Yeah. Against against bullying, that's good. Yeah. That's Chase Masterson, the actress. Yeah, that's yeah. Obviously behind that, yeah, or advocates it rather. Yeah. Um, well, all I can say is, Sue, I'm just very much glad that you you were with me to talk about this. Me Thank too. You. Yes. Thanks for thanks for challenging me to go to go and watch this this episode. Yeah. Don't worry, Sue. You don't, you don't ever have to watch it again. You're okay now. The nightmare's okay. over for you. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, David walks off into a bright, sunshiny day. Uh, unlike the, the murky, cloudy days that he always walks off into. Yeah. You know, he, he look, it, it, it's showing hope. Yes, that's right. I mean, you, good decision on the director's part. He starts in the sunshiny day and he ends in a sunshiny day. Yeah. I mean, he, he bookended it really well and then he dug in and it was awful. And, and we got this horrible, horrible got the sun, we got the, got the sunshine at the beginning, and then this terrible darkness in the middle, and then the sunshine at the end. Yeah. Well, sir. You know, things are kind of. Things are kind of get are being are worked are being worked out with the family a bit more, you know, and stuff. So there's there's they're moving on in some way, and there's a bit more stability, which is good, you know. Yep. But thanks so much, Sue, for joining me. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. It's been lovely. To, it's been really nice to, to 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 chat about this particular episode because it is one that sticks in my mind purely because it's such a have such a powerful impact on me, you know, yeah. um, and many other people, I'm sure. Um, I'm pleased to welcome James D. Parriott. How are you, Jim? I'm fine, Frank. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks so much Great. for being here. Um, you betcha. This story, Jim, A Child in Need, um, really stuck with me, and I think it stuck with a lot of fans because of the subject matter in it. It was a very heavy story in many ways, very emotional. And it's dealing with, you know, child abuse and wife beating, things that are going on behind closed doors and so on, which is, of course, a, a problem that's, unfortunately, it hasn't changed much over the 40-odd years that this episode came out. Um, right. I, I'm just curious, when you, when you were offered this uh, uh, to direct this, um, did you, ha- did you have to um, have many meetings about how to approach this subject? Because it's quite a sensitive subject, you know, to, to tackle. Yes, well, we did. I remember we did talk to, to obviously, to psychologists. I can't remember who they were, but we did we did do some consulting about that. And we researched it. I also, um, you know, produced the show. I mean, I developed that show with Frank, the writer, um, and and uh, he came in and back in that era, we didn't have large staffs the way we do now in American television. We it would uh, Ken Johnson and I and I'm not sure if we had a story editor that first season or that season or not, but we had very small staff. 
And so we would then, writers would come in and pitch us ideas. Frank came in and pitched us this uh, story about uh, wife and child beating. And it, the story wasn't fleshed out quite yet, but Kenny and I always wanted to uh, stretch the show. We always felt that the show could do um, more serious subjects. And I would say that that one was one of the first that we tackled. It was, was a really serious subject. After I left the show subsequently, um, they did a lot of fine, fine shows that were, that had really tough and relevant subject matter. Um, like PTSD, the, the, the Nick Korea's show that he wrote. And, um, uh, I can, can't think of the other ones because I was off the show at that time because I'd moved yeah, on. Say, think, but, you know, but, one about alcohol, the, uh, alcoholism and things like that. Alcoholism, yes, yeah. alcoholism. We, um, and that was sort of a, a trial balloon. And, and as we were developing it, I, I think that I am remembering correctly that in Frank's original pitch, we didn't have the twist at the end that the character that Sandy McPeak played, when the Hulk starts beating on him, it turns out that he was a, battered child as well and that was one of the things that we learned as we were researching it was that was that um, child battery and wife battery it, it's passed down from generation to generation and and um that often the people who are doing the beating were battered themselves so that was significant and i think that came in later um i made a pass through the script before i directed the writing pass and um that's the way it worked then the 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 Kenny and I would make, uh, we sort of do every other show. Uh, we'd be, we would be point on every other show. And uh, we'd always make a pass, sometimes significant, in, through each script that's brought in. And then Kenny, being executive producer, would always be the, the final say on the show. He would, if he wanted to diddle with the script, he always had the option of doing that. But that's the way we worked. And we developed that show over a period of probably i don't know three months and then i got to shoot it um and it was my first directing job um that show was my very first and uh so i remember the directing part of it very vividly (laughs) (laughs) um but it was it was a lot of fun and we knew we were doing good stuff when we were doing it now sally kirkland who played the the, you know the the victim of Sandy McPeak's character, you know, his wife in it. Yes. Gave an amazing performance in that. Yeah. You know, Sandy. This desperate woman, you know, and uh, uh, covering up, you know, as, as, as is, as is a pop, uh, you know, a popular problem that they. Oh, Sally Kirkland. Yeah. That this is yeah. going on, you know. Yeah. Sally was, Sally was terrific. Um, well, we just had, a, that was a great cast. Everybody oh. was just, just sensational. Um, I was very, very lucky to work with such great actors. They were, um, they were terrific. I'm surprised she didn't get an Emmy for that to be, or an Emmy nomination for that, to be honest. Yeah, she was awfully good in that. And her, her awards didn't start coming. I don't think until later. I mean, she got that Oscar nomination that one year and, and, uh, but she was, she was sort of a hot up and coming actress at that time. But yeah, I'm surprised that, yeah, but the Hulk was, you know, considered a déclassé show at that point. And so it, we we were, you know, a cartoon show. I mean, not cartoon, but you know, comic book, and which was look, kind of looked down on in that era, and um, so we weren't considered serious. I think, um, but we were trying to do serious work. Obviously, we uh, John McPherson, our our 
director of photography was uh, was doing really really amazing work uh, at the time and w we started to get recognized for that Kenny's direction on the pilots and stuff was really superb oh, wow. and um, and so I think our level of filmmaking was quite high um, but that subject matter which is so doing so well at the box office now and is so revered and is all over the all over the the big and small screens it back then was considered wasn't considered uh highbrow entertainment so uh, emmy nominations were we never believed that we would stand a chance at getting an emmy but marriott hartley got an emmy for her her, her role in married and did she okay yeah well but i'm wrong it, 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 there was one exception to the rule at least yeah yeah i forgot that marriott got an yeah emmy for that. well doggone it so I'm wrong. So Sally, Sally deserved it as well. <laughs> that's my, yeah, I thought, that's my I thought Sally was, she was just fantastic. She yeah, was amazing. She was. Um, how did you find working with uh, Dennis Stimpster, the, 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 the boy, uh, um, the, the guy, that, the, the character that played the boy, young lad? Um, uh, Mark he was Hollinger. great. He was they, they, they were all good. You, you're always worried about working with young actors. Yeah. Um, but um, he, was, he was terrific. You can get burned. But I've only actually been burned one time in my life um, in making a pilot where I had a, a young actor who just couldn't do it. Um, cute as can be, but just couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, I, the, one of the things I remember working on, it was an incredible Hulk episode. And I, I can't remember the episode. I remember she was a young Asian girl who was just a fantastic actress and she was 12 years old. And um, I was on the set and I asked her mom, you know, because I, I had just had Diana and I were having our first child and we were, you know, interested in schools. And I said, oh, where is she going to school next year? And the mother turned to me and she said, Stanford. It's <laughs> like, oh, she's going to college and she's 12 years old. And yet one wow. of the things that you learn, like Jodie Foster and a, a lot of the precocious young actors who are really great are they're, they're genius level IQs and uh, um he he was one of the, the kid in child in need he was just really smart and um for some reason the really really smart kids have can tap into emotions and know when not to overact and you know just to they can be in the moment which takes older actors years and years and years to learn how to be that way um but yeah he was one of the special kid for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any, any, uh, did you find any, um, that you're up against any kind of particular challenges while directing that story? Were there any technical problems or did it go quite smoothly or? It actually went quite, it went quite smoothly. And, um, you know, one of the things you, you, uh, one of the problems on any set is you, is, is dealing with, I feel very sad for, or sorry, for directors who come in to direct a show uh, that, that they're not involved in on a day-to-day -day basis because they tend to be judged and the stars tend to judge them rather harshly until they prove themselves. Um, director, myself, and you sort of have to prove yourself to them. And I was lucky in that I didn't have to prove myself to Bill Bixby um, or Lou, and they just trusted me right off the bat and, and helped me. So there were no delays or arguments or anything we were we all worked very smoothly together 
And, um, and John McPherson was just terrific to me. He would, he, I would say, gee, can we do this shot? I remember one just crazy shot that I had with, that involved the dolly track that crossed the street and four feet off the ground. It was just a dopey shot. And he said, oh yeah, we can have that set up in 20 minutes. And, and he did. It was just this fantastic shot. And it was like, okay, great. Um, but, but it was, it was, uh, I had no, no problems at all. The, the only thing you, you have in, particularly back in, in those days, eight day schedules, we had seven day schedules. And, um, and that was tough because you had to deal with um, Lou and Lou's makeup, which was, you know, him getting green and getting ungreen and keeping that makeup consistent was always an, an issue was it mm-hmm. could be a time issue and um and seven days is not a lot of time to make a show it just an ambitious show x and that kind of stuff it it uh you really have to move quickly so as a young director you always and as a first time director i wanted to prove that i could make the schedule and stay on time and not overwork the crew and and um and so th- that was a big consideration for me. Yeah. Did you did you have um was there a, a particular amount of time um for um rehearsal? Did you have any rehearsal prior to shooting? Yeah, you always you always do that. Um we don't have no, we don't have any rehearsal prior to the actual shooting period, but we rehearse um for you know 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't have a lot of time when on an episodic television yeah. to rehearse, but we rehearse for 20 or 30 minutes, let the actors, you know, find themselves and find their role and pl- find the blocking and, um, and then go away into makeup and, the, and John McPherson takes over the set and, and would light it, um, which would take him 10 to 20 minutes. And then we'd bring everybody back in and, and shoot, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you, you don't, you get to rehearse pilots, pilots, you get, they give you a little bit of rehearsal time on the front and you can have maybe two or three days of rehearsal, but the, on an episode, you, who, um, pain, you would have to start paying the actors from the point of, of time of rehearsal and uh-huh. they, they don't want to pay the actors extra money. That's just the studio policy was just to, you know, bare bones. They didn't want to spend anything. Did you, did you um, find that the actors on that on, on a child in need, um, all of the, I mean all of the, all, all of the main stars in there? Did you find that uh, um, you had to do many takes with scenes, or did they get it pretty much on the you know after one or two takes on the you know? Well, if you if you get it on take one, you and it's really weird. I have to tell you, um, directing is a very strange thing in that. A lot of times, and I mean, directors will laugh about this. You get it on take one, and then you say, "Well, let's just do another take," you know, or, or and and the next take that you print that's printable is take eight or nine, you know, or ten, <laughs> and it and it just and it's like and that's the time eater, you know. I I read that Clint Eastwood will just print take one and move on, and and he's probably very right in doing that. I think it, that. 80% of the time, take one is probably just as good as take 20. Um, sometimes you want to do extra takes just to get the actors to relax. 
and to and to and to get into the moment um, because they're still working on hitting their marks and there's still other stuff going on in their heads. So as a director, it's very important to be able to recognize when you have the performance um, uh, and, and to print it and walk away or whether there's something else to get from the performance and, and whether you should keep going. Um, and that's kind of what directing is, frankly. Um, you ideally, in any situation, I learned this from a director named Steve Miner, cast, if you cast well, you have to, you, you direct less, you know, cast well and let the actors do their work is, is the best thing. The, the directors who always seem to get in trouble are the ones who want to direct too much and um, tell their actors too many things and the actors get confused and they, they don't rely on their own instincts. So, you know, you cast well and, and then let it, let it happen. Let the magic happen. Were there any particular scenes in, in, in the show, uh, Jim, that you were particularly proud of or fond of, you know, how, that, uh, how you shot it and so on? Oh, Anything gosh. stand out? No, I... Well, I remember Sandy and the, the beating scene was terrific. Um, and Sally, I, I remember her performance. But, yeah, I, I thought... I think that the confrontation scenes were... were for me, very effective. And, um, but I can't, I can't remember specifically a scene standing out and, and uh, is one over the other. No, that's too long ago. I'm sorry. Because of, because of the, you know, the subject matter, because it's very intense. Did, did, did Sally at any point or, or, or Sandy or, or whoever was in the scenes call you to one side or, or your assistant and so on and say that, I, where am I at here? I, I, I need a bit of help with this. You know, what should I be doing? Is this, you know, how should I be? I should, no, actually, no. I remember that I, I, I was worried that I was going to get a lot of that. And um, the actors were so good that it was just letting them relax into the scene. Yeah. What they had to bring. And, and, um, and you just give them enough, enough takes. You let them relax. You let them know you're not going to rush them off the set. You know, that, that's also one of the things. It was a very emotional scenes what you want to do there is you just want to let them know that they're safe and, and that they have time to work, that they're not rushed, that, you know, we're not going to do, that we're not going to do just take one and run off because they, they need some time to work up to it. And you just keep everybody calm and everybody quiet and let them do their work. And, and you watch them very carefully and see when they're ready and then give a quiet role and then action and let them do their work. Um, if you think you can get more, if they think they can give a little more, you know, you may talk it over in between takes and go, you want to go again? And they go, yeah, I can do better or I can, you know, let me do this. And so you give them a few more takes. But, yeah, you just deal with that very calmly and and let them know that they're in a safe environment. Uh, how did you find working, you know, uh, with Bill Bixby? And Bix was great. I mean, Bix was, you know. He was always needling me, you know, he says, hey, getting, you know, you're getting good feedback from the dailies, huh, aren't you? <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was, he was great. He was uh, <clears throat> very supportive and yeah. he knew, he knew the script was really good. And, and, um, and Bix was proud of the show and, and, and wanted the show to move into more stretchy directions. And so he, uh, that's what he did. And he was very supportive. He's always, 
terrifically supportive. Good guy. Yeah. Um, you went on. Uh, um, we're moving on now, uh, um, Jim, if you may, from sure. um, from that story. You know, child in need. Yeah. Um, I know that you also just briefly. I know you also worked as supervising producer. Could you kind of could you let us know exactly what that entails? Well, the supervising producer. It's it's kind of weird in television. What they do is as shows be to develop staff. Sort of coming out of the. 60s into the 70s the the so when i first started working in television their shows didn't have staffs um, maybe comedies did but dramas did not have have you wouldn't have a staff of writers um as i think hill street was one of the very first shows that started um actually accumulating writers in in a staff that they're better writers um we were just starting to do that and when we were doing the Hulk and, and the producer ranks producer was a title that you got when you were brought on staff and started to have some real responsibility. Um, but producer title now and producer title, even then the producer was the line producer. Um, and they, which who dealt with physical production, um, supervising producer was more of a writery title. And it meant that I was just below Ken Johnson. It was, you know, Ken was executive and I was supervising producer. So it was a rank title. What I did as supervising producer with Kenny is we had worked together very closely on Bionic Woman for a couple of years and, and were very good friends um, and trusted each other. He trusted me. And so we would sort of alternate shows doing uh, television back then in that era was now they sort of writers are writers but back then we become producers and become actual filmmakers because we were supervising the editors we were on the uh the scoring stage supervising composers and and uh, i mean a lot of times the first time that we would ever get to see music up against picture would be when we had a full orchestra on the scoring stage and if we didn't like the music joe harnell did the music and joe was great but we would have to go, and I was just a 27-year-old kid, 20-whatever, and, you know, would have to cross the room and go to Joe up on the podium and say, gee, could, could you lose the horns and bars, you know, <laughs> 4 through 18? I really don't think they fit, or can you, you know, and it, and, uh, it, it, was, it was fun. It was an additional pressure. Now it's all done, you know, with computers. The, the music is all is all. Um, done in in someone's home in, a, in small yeah. studios um so and it's very different you get to preview all the music before you ever set stage on a dubbing stage where you put it up mix it all together but yeah back then you you would go on that scoring stage that morning and be hearing everything for the first time and it was like whoa but my point is that it was really labor intensive kenny and i literally ran uh, we were running day and day. It was so much fun, but we were just we were running all over that lot and and you know hearing writers' pitches and supervisors and rewriting. And I'd have in the morning to do any rewriting before the, the the editing and the meeting and all that kind of stuff started. But but it was crazy and so it all. It was it was just too much work. So Kenny and I would alternate shows and. Um, and that's the way we, we worked it. So supervising producer was for me was a title that was 
just under Kenny and we, we operated, um, Kenny was always the boss, but I operated as his close assistant and alternating, you know, point man on, on each show. You went on to be involving some big, big shows, big, big series, um, yes. as, as executive producer. And so I'll, yeah. obviously I'll ask you what, exactly what that entails as well. But um, some of your credits are Dark Skies, uh, Grey's sure. Anatomy, yeah. Ugly Betty and Sons of Anarchy, which all these shows have been incredibly popular. You know? Yes. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. 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 Can you tell us how you how you got them? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you can choose anyone you want, really, Jim. If you whichever one you want to speak about, I'm just curious how how those those things came to you, uh, um, and what you what an executive producer role is. Well, I, it, it's sort of executive producer slash showrunner. Um, showrunner is the new term that people use, although the credit is still executive producer. Um, one of the things that the wonderful things about working in Universal back when we were doing the Hulk and that I was just talking about is we got to do everything. I mean, we got to do everything. We were filmmakers um, and it's less so today, but you learned how to, we were responsible for budgets. If a show was over budget and they always were, we had to figure out how to bring the show down. We had to look at the, the assistant director's shooting board and figure out, you know, how that could be, the most efficient often it required a rewrite to make to make it more efficient you know a, a gasoline station uh, might not work on a particular day but if we change the gas station to a um to a laundromat there was a lot you know I, could, I might be able to move it over on this day this schedule where there's a laundromat right next to our other location you know things like that but you learned how to do cut budgets and to be responsible for budgets we learned how to score and do music and and uh, mix the show dub it on on a dubbing stage on a mixing stage um we learned everything and and as the years have gone by um work has become more segmented and there haven't been a lot of people who do everything who are, who can be responsible for everything um but that's what a showrunner kind of needs to be. A showrunner needs to be responsible for everything uh, on a show. It's sort of like a director on a film. Yeah. A director is generally responsible for everything creative. A showrunner in a television show is responsible for everything creative. Um, and because of my experience over the years, um, I became at one point, I became sort of a teaching showrunner. It was, it's sort of like I came on, for instance, Grey's Anatomy, Shonda Rhimes had, had no experience in, in television or running a show. And I came in on that show. She just had a pilot script. We, it was, wasn't a series or wasn't even a pilot at that time. And I helped her develop it and develop the series um, as we shot it and developed the voice. And I really worked on that show with her sort of as her co-showrunner. I mean, I was teaching her how to do it. By season two, she was running the show herself, I and mean, she's she's phenomenally talented. But but I became known as that. So after I did that with Shonda for two years, which is all I was, it was signed up to do, I did Ugly Betty and got that show going for Silvio. Um, Kurt Sutter and Sons of Anarchy. That was just because I Shonda had asked me back to take over private practice in the second season. 
And I was actually going to do that. And then I had a show of mine called Defying Gravity that suddenly got a pickup. And so I, and that was in first position. So I couldn't do Shonda's show, but I had some time that summer that was free. And so John Landgraf came to me and said, would you do Kurt's show? And so I did. Then what I did for Kurt, now Kurt didn't need any show running help, but he, he hates the writer's room and hated other, you know, working with other writers. And <laughs> so I was that person who worked with the other writers and then we would feed Kurt material to either rewrite or do whatever he wanted to do with it. And then he, then the, he would take over the episode. Um, so he was different. He, I didn't teach Kurt anything. Kurt's a fully formed talent. I mean, but, but Shonda, Silvio Orca on Ugly Betty. I did it on, for the guys on Covert Affairs. I did a bunch of shows where I would come in and for a season or sometimes two seasons and, and sort of be the showrunner, responsible showrunner at the beginning and then pass off to the, to the, uh, to the creators of the show. Does as that make an, sense? Sorry, yeah. Jim, as an exec, exec producer, would you, would you, uh, uh, um, would it involve you being on set a lot or, or did you sort of, or, or wasn't that so much, uh, I, I, I find that being an executive producer, being a showrunner, you're, that's, that's, you only go to the set. Well, you go to the set for morale just to show up and yeah. to talk to your actors and to, to have those relationships. But you really, or of course, if there's a big trouble thing, like for instance, when I, I just came back to Grey's on season 11, Shonda needed some help on season 11. And, and I came back to, for about, I don't know, I think I did 14 shows as, as an executive producer, as a showwriter to kind of come in and calm it down. It was the year that Patrick Dempsey left and there was, she needed an experienced older person who the cast all knew and respected to come back in. So I did that. Um, but you don't go down and I had to do, was on the set a bunch then, but you, you don't do that regularly. A, a showrunner now, the best places that a showrunner can be now and the most effective places creatively are in the writer's room, breaking the story. You guys in the UK don't have many writer's rooms. We in the United States sort of, that's how we write shows. Yes. Um, but either in the writer's room in front of their computer or in the cutting room. Um, those are the places that they can affect the story the most. Um, and they can do everything else uh, on their computer. They can, supervise the score and how and how your composer is doing because the composer will send you files with the music and the picture and you can see how it's working but it um but those are the three places that you're you're, you're critical hanging around on the set what you do for your writers is you take i usually take and most people do this on the 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 writer whose credit is on the show uh, um who's on your staff that's the person who sits on the set and represents the writers and um and stays through the show anyway so that's the way we work it these days yeah um and what are you um, what are you working on currently jim currently i'm doing a show called patriot for amazon and i encourage you to watch it it's you have to be an amazon prime member to see it but it's a wonderful show we were just I was just at an award ceremony last night for the uh, Television Critics Association get, um, had, gave us a nomination for Best Comedy, which is 
sort of out of left field. We weren't expecting it. And, and <laughs> it's great. It's it's a funny show. It's a funny, serious show. But um, one uh, really wonderful. Um, written and directed by Steve Conrad. He's just this very unique talent. And uh, love the guy. And I came onto that show just to support Steve. I saw the pilot and they said, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I love the show. And I met Steve and we hit it off. And I said, yeah, I'll come in and do whatever you need me to do. So I ran the room first season. And second season, Steve decided I'm going to write them all myself. So I came, I was stuck with the show second season. I, he lives in Chicago. I went to Chicago a couple of times and, and helped him and his team work out some of the stories. But uh, my involvement this year is much less than it was the first year. But he, uh, it's a great show. I encourage people to watch it. It's, it's, it's quite wonderful. I hope, I hope you guys are listening to this and, and check it out. Because I've spoken to the man who's working on it. So, Yeah, it's not The Patriot. Don't put The Patriot. It's called Patriot. Patriot. And it's, yeah. it's really quirky. And this year we're actually shooting it entirely in Paris. Oh, lovely. So, so it has some nice so Euro First content. time you've been over to France, um, Jim, have you been there before? Oh, I've been there before. And I actually, this trip, I didn't, this time I didn't even go to France. Um, since Steve is directing, when Steve's directing, you don't have to be on the set and he's directing every episode. So <laughs> it was one of those things. Do I want to go over on sort of a boondoggle and, you know, eat some nice food and hang out on the set? And it was like, ah, you know, we can use the money better in production than we can just sending me over to, you know, putting me up in a hotel and doing that stuff. So I didn't go this. But yes, uh-huh. of course, I've been depressed. Yes. And if I've worked, I've worked in the UK. I've actually, I was at, spent the better part of 2000, 2001 in London. What were you working on that? I have a show that was called, um, well, originally it was called Emma Brody when, when we were shooting it, but it wound up being called the American Embassy. Uh-huh. And um, at BBC, I think it was BBC Four. I can't remember who had it um, in England. But yeah, we did. I did a show there. We lived in Marlebone. Oh, lovely. Very nice. Marathon House in Marlebone. And um, yeah, worked out at uh, Ealing. We were in Ealing Studios. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Well, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And, well, thank you, Frank. And thank you so much for your memories. But particularly, this episode is a, was a standout, I think. You know, and I think okay. that people remember a lot that enjoyed the series you know um, yeah I, I enjoyed doing it certainly and it's been it's been and it's nice talking to you about the other things you've worked on too uh, obviously we couldn't talk about everything but because you've had you've got a huge resume that i looked at, <laughs> i thought i'd just try and pick out a few things for you you know try and narrow it yeah. down but, uh, but it's been lovely speaking with you jim and i hope you guys enjoyed this too um yeah sure and we will be back again with another uh um Incredible Hulk, uh, Hulk podcast very soon. So I hope you'll be back with us then and take care. Thank you. Thank you.